Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 1. We're going to be reading from chapter 1 and a few verses from chapter 4 as we talk about the spiritual fruit of joy. We started last week a sermon series where we're going to work our way through to the fruit of the Spirit, uh, those characteristics of of life, uh, uh, of the fact that the Spirit is working in us, that God wants to, to see exhibited in us, they are really, uh, another way to put that is their Christ-likeness. It's being like Christ. Christ is the ultimate example of the fruit of the Spirit. We also talked a little bit last week about how there's a difference, a little bit of a difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes uh, People get those kind of messed up in their minds. And certainly among some, like the church in Corinth, uh, they, they took the gifts of the Spirit as being actually more important than the fruit. <clears throat> they, they sort of felt like if you could exude or show the, the spiritual gifts of, say, speaking in tongues or, or healing or prophecy or some of those more charismatic uh, gifts, that that was uh, a sign of your spiritual maturity. But Paul comes into the picture and says, no, in actuality, it's the fruit of the Spirit that is the yardstick or measure of your spiritual maturity, not the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit. It's how you use the gifts, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so that's what we're going to look at as kind of a measure of our spirituality and a picture of uh, Christ-likeness as we seek to, to live accordingly. So last week we looked at the fruit of love. In particular, we just looked at how love sort of ushers itself into the other fruit of the Spirit and, and how it really is um, kind of the fruit or the first fruit of the Spirit. But it does usher itself into other types of fruit. And the second one on the list that we're going to focus on today is joy. Now, I mentioned last week that we're going to oftentimes now look at different people in the Bible that exhibited these fruit in a special way, that exemplified them for us. And as I was thinking about the fruit of joy, I came across a rather unusual person uh, as far as an exemplary uh, look at joy, and that is the Apostle Paul. Most of us probably wouldn't, our minds wouldn't have gone first to the Apostle Paul as a person of great joy. We think of him as maybe a stern theologian, the author of the book of Romans, and talking about predestination and sanctification and justification and all these big theological things. We don't think about him so much as joy, uh, in terms of joy. But he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi that exudes joy. And so I want to listen, listen and look at how Paul did that, how he was joyful in his own life, and how he challenged the Philippians and us to joy as well. And what, of course, is the most unusual, perhaps, is that Paul is writing this joyful letter in prison, having been imprisoned by Rome. He'd always wanted to go to Rome, but not quite in this way. And the Philippian church had a couple things on their mind. One is they had some real issues going on, real struggles going on in the, in the church to which uh, Epaphroditus comes from, comes from them to visit Paul in, in prison and brings 
uh, that word, that they have some concerns of things that are bringing them down. But they're also concerned about Paul in prison and how he's doing. And so Paul addresses that as we pick it up at verse 12 of chapter 1. So we'll begin at Philippians 1, verse 12, where Paul addresses their concern about him. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition and not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your joy and progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will will abound on account of me. You may have noticed that no less than three times Paul talks about joy or rejoicing. And then if you turn with me to chapter 4, Now, after talking about some of the issues that he had, but also some of the issues that they were having in the church in Philippi, Paul then challenges them to joy as well. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord, I always, I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We'll conclude our reading there. Again, we'll kind of work our way through those passages, so you may want to keep your Bibles open as we do. But let's open with the word of prayer. Holy Spirit, we know that you are the giver of the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. But we also know that you are the one that inspired these various authors to write the truth of God's Word. And that your inspiration is not done, but you continue to inspire us. And so we pray that you would inspire uh, the words that are spoken as words that might hit home in our lives and that we might understand how you are calling us to live as a result of them. We pray it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Now, have you ever noticed how TV and movies portray Christians? Always fun-loving and carefree, right? Usually serious and pious. Always the life of the party. Usually don't get invited. How about ministers? Ministers are always colorful and likable, right? Usually they're drab and dreaded and often have some evil secret. Charles Swindoll tells the story. A man was standing behind a woman at the checkout counter of a local grocery store. He was well-dressed and his facial expression was quite stern. The woman glanced back at him a time or two as she finished unloading her basket. Finally, unable to restrain herself any longer, she asked the serious-looking gentleman, "'Excuse me, but do you happen to be a minister?' "'No, I'm not,' he replied. "'I've just been sick a couple of weeks.'" (laughs) Ouch! Ouch! But isn't that typical of how Christians are depicted? And yet, of all people, we should be the most joyful because we were created for joy. The Westminster Catechism, in its first question answer, asks, what is the chief end of man? And, and the short answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Joy. We were created for joy. It's, it's theologically correct to be joyful. And in fact, one of the greatest theologians was also one of the most joyful Christians, the Apostle Paul. He models for us The second fruit of the Spirit, joy, especially in his incredibly joyful letter to the Philippians. Now, Paul had visited Philippi and and founded the church there during his second missionary journey. He had formed a deep friendship with them, resulting in his most intimate letter. Writing from house arrest in Rome, Paul responds to the news he's received from Epaphroditus about the challenges to the Philippian church, coming from both within and without. His response, unusual considering his situation, was to pen them a letter of joy. Paul begins by greeting his friends in a joyful way, telling them that in his prayers, his prayers are always filled with great joy because of them. And then, while he could be wallowing in self-pity in prison, Paul shows himself more concerned for their welfare. When he finally does talk about himself, it's a model of joyful living. Paul had always dreamed of going to Rome, but certainly not in this way, in prison. So how do you live joyfully in that situation? Paul gives us three keys to joyful living in Philippians 1. The first key is count your blessings instead of your disappointments. Look at verses 12 through 14 again. Now, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul had always dreamed of going to Rome as a preacher. God sent him there instead as a prisoner. And Paul is imprisoned for no crime but preaching Christ. 
Now, occasionally we hear of a person wrongly imprisoned. Maybe we watch 60 Minutes or, or something like that, and we hear a person that's been wrongly imprisoned, and, and finally they're freed, and, and matters are set straight, but they're often very bitter. That could have been expected of Paul, who was in chains only for preaching Christ. Maybe we have our own chains today. Maybe it's a job that's going nowhere. Skills that are limiting us from something better. Maybe we're financially strapped in this economy. Or we're dealing with illness, bad habits, sins we can't overcome. Maybe we have a poor self-image. All of these service chains dragging us down, keeping us from the fruit of joy. But Paul wasn't bitter. Instead of seeing the soldier guarding him as a restriction to the gospel, he also he saw that soldier as a captive audience. He can't get away. And so Paul kept preaching at him. And as they changed shifts and different soldiers came on, Paul shared the gospel with them. And the Christians in Rome, hearing about this, and emboldened by Paul's example, started to do the same thing. Instead of feeling frustrated and victimized, writes Charles Swindoll, Paul laughed at the open window of unique opportunity offering numerous possibilities. So one secret of joyful living is to see situations from God's perspective as windows of opportunity. What opportunities are ahead of, are before us, even in dealing with our chains? A, a second secret to joyful living is to see beyond criticism to the cause of the kingdom. Look at verses 15 to 18. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me in chains. So, so Paul's already in prison, and there's, there's some people, for whatever reason, are making life worse for him. And they call themselves Christians, and they're doing it through preaching. But notice how Paul responds. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So apparently there were some Christians who were stirring things up by preaching and hoping it would make life harder for Paul. We don't know anything about this other than what Paul says, so we don't know what they're doing. Maybe they were preaching in negative ways. Or they were preaching in some way to enrage the Romans and it would be blamed on Paul. Or maybe they were criticizing him. We don't know why they were doing this. Perhaps they were jealous of Paul. Had their toes stepped on by Paul at, at, at some point. But it had to hurt Paul. You know, anyone engaged in Christian work, or any work for that matter, knows the pain of criticism at times. But it especially hurts when it comes from fellow Christians in the context of doing the Lord's work. Maybe today there are people dragging you down. Maybe at work. Maybe in your family. Maybe among your friends or at school. 
Well, it seems like there were two groups in Rome. One preached out of love, emboldened by Paul and his example, but the others, his critics, had impure motives. Yet Paul saw that preaching, what, despite the motive, furthered the kingdom, and in that he rejoiced. And so here's another secret to joyful living. Rise above criticism by focusing on God's cause. And then a third secret to joyful living, for lack of a better phrase, might be laugh through life's dilemmas. Laugh through life's dilemmas. Look at Paul's dilemma. He says, I'll I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. So Paul realizes that he is in a life or death situation right now, a life or death dilemma. But look at how he responds to that. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Life is complicated. Life is hard. There are many dilemmas, and it's not all black and white. There are many gray areas that we have to deal with. I think that's why people love so much the, the comic strip character Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown seems to always have been dealing with life's dilemmas. There, there's one Peanuts comic strip has a picture of, of Lucy's little uh, stand. The, the doctor is in, the psychiatrist or whatever is in, 10 cents. And she's, and, and Charlie Brown's there listening. Lucy is uh, as usual, has the floor. She's delivering one of her dogmatic lectures. Charlie Brown, she says, life is a lot like a deck chair on a cruise ship. Some place their chairs so they can see where they're going. Others place it so they can see where they've been. Still others put them so they can see where they are at present. To which Charlie Brown responds, I can't even get mine unfolded. Well, we can maybe identify with Charlie Brown. Life's dilemmas can leave us unsettled and unsure, between a rock and a hard place. Well, Paul's dilemma was life and death, literally. Literally life and death. It seemed like what we would call a no-win situation. If he lived, that meant continued suffering in prison, but death wasn't the greatest option either. Perhaps we have a crisis in our life today. Serious health issues, relational problems, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, depression. The list could go on and on. And yet, for Paul, it was life and death. And if that were not so serious, it is almost comical the way Paul treats his dilemma. He's actually weighing 
the benefits of each. He's saying this is a, this is a win-win situation. Which do I get to choose? Living Bible paraphrases it. For me, living means opportunities for Christ and, and dying. Well, that's better yet. Now, think about that. Try to put something else, another word in the place of Christ there. For me, living is opportunities for power. For me, living is opportunities for possessions, money, fame. Living for anything else falls flat. Again, Charles Swindoll notes, the secret of living is the same as the secret of joy. Both revolve around the centrality of Jesus Christ. In other words, the pursuit of happiness is the cultivation of a Christ-centered, Christ-controlled life. Well, after exuding this joy in his letter, then and after dealing with some of the stuff he's going, that's happening to him and some of the stuff that's happening in the church in Philippi, in chapter 4, Paul now encourages them, challenges them to be joyful Christians. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Why? Well, first, because there's hope in the future. The Lord is near, he says. The Lord is near. There's hope in the future. The Lord's coming is right around the corner. Secondly, he says, do it with prayer in the present. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Prayer in the present, knowing that, that Christ's power and presence could be drawn on daily. And then he notes that when the Holy Spirit establishes that fruit of joy in our lives, it results in some further fruit. There are a couple of other uh, fruit of the Spirit that are mentioned here in this passage. First, gentleness, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, I think perhaps Paul is thinking about what he has just said because he has just talked about this fight that's going on in the church between two women, Euodia and Syntyche and how it's disrupting church life. And, and he says, no, be gentle. Gentleness. Holding no, no grudges. Experiencing no bitterness. And so one of the things that the fruit of joy does is allows us to be gentle toward others. It also gives peace for ourselves. Again, in verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So not just gentleness toward others, but peace for ourselves. The absence of anxiety and, and uh, the presence of shalom, of peace with God and with others. And so just like love it exudes itself and some other fruit of the Spirit, so joy does as well. Now, we often in our world confuse joy with happiness. They're not the same. Happiness depends on happenings. Happiness depends on happenings, what people, things, or events do to us. And in the Bible, the word happiness is only used about a little over 20 times. But joy, which is used 162 times in the Bible, joy comes from a relationship with God. That when Christ becomes central in our lives, 
it's then that we can live joyfully. Joy doesn't only come when things go right, happenings, but also it's not killed when things go wrong. When Christ is central in our lives, we can live joyfully because, one, he broadens the dimensions of our circumstances. That is, he gives us a big picture perspective on life. He says, step back and see what's really happening. Paul could do that when he looked at his imprisonment and and God allowed him to step back and see that the kingdom was being advanced even through Paul in prison. He broadens the dimensions of our circumstances. He gives us a new confidence. Our limitations or chains become a challenge rather than a chore. Secondly, he delivers us from preoccupation with others. Other people's opinions, motives, criticisms no longer seem all that important when you're more concerned about pleasing Christ. And thirdly, he calms our fears regarding ourselves, our dilemmas, and our future. And once fear is removed, joy and peace takes its place. In the early days of Christianity, after Christ had died and Rome was still in control, one scoffer inquired of a Christian, well, what's your carpenter doing now? And the response was bold. My carpenter is making a coffin for your emperor. Jesus Christ is in control. And if for no other reason, that should make us joyful Christians. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and your promises. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us the fruit that causes us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. We pray that you would build in us, encourage us, challenge us to to joy in our lives so that when people look at us knowing we are Christians, they can see the joy of a Christian life before them, the joy of, of knowing you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.